Please pray with me. Holy Spirit, come now, and Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the wonderful mysteries of what you have accomplished in your ascension into glory and your session at the right hand of the Father. Lord, we are too, too quick to overlook these things. So help us to enter deeply into them now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if, if this was Christmas Eve, there would be a lot more people here. But part of that is because your employers would give you tomorrow off, but they don't do that for Ascension. But the Feast of Ascension, this, this feast day really is perhaps one of the most overlooked and undervalued of all of the Christian holidays. It's one of the seven major feasts of the Christian church. Don't ask me to name them all. I know Christmas and Easter in there. Pentecost is coming up. But this is a very important Christian holy day, the Feast of the Ascension. And if we overlook this day, if we overlook the meaning of this day, what was accomplished on this day, we're going to miss out on, we're going to, first of all, we're going to have bad theology if we don't appreciate this day, and we're going to miss out on good news if we don't appreciate this day. So let's avoid the bad theology and let's embrace the good news. And here's the amazing truth about what was accomplished by our Lord at his ascension. Uh, Jesus has taken his humanity... And that means he's taken our humanity with him into the glory of heaven. And so Tertullian, who was an early teacher of the church around the year 225 AD, he's the one who gave us the phrase that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Tertullian said this, he said, Jesus is still sitting there at the right hand of the Father, man, yet God, the last Adam, Yet the primary word, flesh and blood, yet purer than ours. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, flesh and blood, yet purer than ours. But many of us, as I've said in the past, kind of have this idea that Jesus shed his body in the process of his ascension. We talked about this today. I was meeting with the bishop and some other ministers, and we really were reveling in what Christ had accomplished in his ascension. And one of the themes, though, that came up in that conversation is that many of us have had this conversation with people where folks are unaware that Jesus retains his humanity, his physicality, that somehow his glorified body was, was dispensed with when he ascended into heaven. And so... They see this claim that Christ has ascended with his glorified risen body into the very presence of the Father as somehow weird and scandalous. And I would agree that, that the belief that the incarnation continues eternally is indeed scandalous. Um, but it's important. Last semester, not this semester, but the semester before, when we had um, in one of our foundations courses, I had written a little article, and you got that article if you've been in foundations course. You took it home, and you put it in the bottom of the birdcage and whatever you did with it. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, that they, but they went home, and they made the mistake of actually reading it, and then they had a fight. <laughs> Because they couldn't believe, no, this can't be true. It really caused dissension in the family. And it was shocking. They had never heard this before. They had not been taught this. In fact, this doctrine seems bizarre to us because it hasn't been taught in our churches. 
But this is exactly what the Bible and the fathers of the church and the, Reform, and the Reformers taught. The Westminster Larger Catechism and somewhere, by me just saying that, Tom Bo's heart was strangely warmed. Somewhere, Father Tom, you might know him, he's a, he's a solid five-point Calvinist. Uh, so I'm quoting from the larger catechism tonight. But this is what the Westminster Catechism says. Christ was exalted in his ascension in that 40 days after his resurrection. Listen, he, in our nature and as our head, triumphing over enemies, visibly went up into the highest heavens. He went up into the highest heavens in our nature. And it is St. Leo the Great, so we just went from the Reformers to great Pope. St. Leo the Great also enfolds this incredible, scandalous mystery of the reality that Christ's divinity is so united to his humanity that he has taken our very human nature up into the glory of God. And so listen to what he says. It was certainly a great and indescribable source of joy when in the sight of the heavenly multitudes, the nature of our human race ascended over the dignity of all heavenly creatures. It passed the angelic orders and was raised beyond the heights of archangels. In its ascension, our human race did not stop at any other height until this same nature, our human nature, was received at the seat of the eternal father. Listen, our human nature united with the divinity of the Son was on the throne of his glory. Our human nature united to the divinity of the Son was on the throne of his glory. Let us exalt, dearly beloved, with worthy joy and be glad with a holy thanksgiving. Today we not only are established as possessors of paradise, but we have even penetrated the heights of the heavens in Christ. This is astonishing. So if we, if we surrender or ignore the biblical teaching that Jesus ascended into heaven in the body in which he suffered, died, and was raised to life again, we surrender the truth that is our very source of boldness, of our hope, and our joy. And so let me just very briefly, and really I mean briefly, tell you why this is such good news. begin with, it means that, as I have alluded to, Jesus Christ has taken his throne as the rightful ruler of all time, space, history, and culture. So hear me, many of us are distraught about where we are in the history of this nation at this particular moment. We've run, for some reason, out of 300 million people, we don't have very good choices this year when it comes to the political process. I'm, if you think we do, I apologize for saying that. But I don't think that we could really say that with as much confidence as perhaps we have in the past. And I know that many people are very, very concerned about where we stand as a nation. But brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of something. Jesus Christ is king right now. Now, he is not going to be king in the future as if we have to wait for it, 
He will be king then, but at this very moment, the scripture says that he is the ruler of the kings on earth. So sometimes, and I did it today, as I'm reading news articles, I'm just saying, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. He really is. He really is king. And we can rejoice and be thankful over that. Right now, he, as ascended in, as ascending into heaven, is in what the, what the theologians call, he is in his session, seated in kingly authority at the right hand of the Father. And nothing on earth can change that reality. That's good news. We should take great joy and comfort in that. God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand. In the heavenly places, far above, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Far above. Now, the crazy thing is that this also means that a, this is, this is where you just kind of have to stop and go home and think about this. It means that a real human being with a real body is sitting on the throne of the universe right now. If that just doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. A real human being with a real body is sitting on the throne of the universe right now. God, you are so amazing. Who, you know, the angels had to have just said, we just never imagined you would do this. We can't get over what you've done. Um... I, when we were talking about it this morning in our meeting, and I didn't mean this in any kind of sacrilegious way, but it was just so amazing as we thought about it, is, and I, I, don't want you to hear, I want you to hear this as an expression of, of just sheer wonderment, is that I just said, God is out of his mind. <laughs> I mean, but I mean that in the best possible way. It really is beyond, you know, it's, it, we, we can't even imagine the good things that God has done and that he is doing. It's a beautiful thing. You know, that means that, you know, Jesus Christ has glorified in our, our humanity in such a way that this is, this is something we need to think about. The problem with secular humanism, with that phrase, secular humanism, is not the humanism part. It's the secular part. You see, uh, the problem with secular humanism is it's such a pitiful substitute for Christian humanism. If we say that a real human being with a real body is sitting on the throne of the universe, we are, we are raging humanists. We're Christian humanists. It's a beautiful thing. We believe that God became human in Christ and that he retains his humanity forever. That means that we can never look at humans again in the same light. So do you see the dignity that he has bestowed on our humanity through this? And this also, as a consequence, means, and it's a hard thing to mention, but it means that when Planned Parenthood dismembers an infant in an abortuary to sell the baby parts, it's not just murder. It's a form of blasphemy because Jesus has a body just like that. He has exalted our humanity. The ascension of Jesus into heaven, taking our flesh and blood with him, tells us this. God is crazy about your body. God loves your body. 
When Jesus bodily ascended to the Father's right hand, it means that the material universe God has created is good because the eternal creator God put on human flesh, the human body is, your body is eternally significant. Your body is eternally significant. That's why God seems to be so obsessed with what we do in our bodies. We hear it in 1 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. But there's an even more amazing consequence to Jesus taking our humanity with him into the glory of the Godhead. It means that in Jesus Christ, God is eternally joined to his human creation. Now, let me tell you what is absolutely shocking about this. If you couldn't be shocked before, it gets worse. God's ultimate purpose is, as we know, for you and I to be conformed to Christ. The scripture says in Romans 8, 29, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That is God's ultimate plan for his redeemed humanity. And now remember that Christ has taken on and still retains his human nature. So this is what this means. This is where it goes crazy. If we are to be conformed to, that is to be made like Christ, Christ, that means that we as human creatures become partakers of the divine nature so that somehow by grace, Christ offers us what, who he is by nature. Let me read to what it says in, to, to Peter. This is so crazy. You're going to have to go home and just un, unpack this. His divine power, this is 2 Peter chapter 1, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Okay, that's a lot of words, and, but then Peter comes to this point. So that through them, through what? His promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. So, all that God purposed for humanity is consummated in Christ's ascension into heaven as both priest and victim of of his atoning sacrifice. God and man forever united in the God-man Jesus Christ. That means that God will share his life with us so fully that as finite creatures, we somehow become partakers of the divine nature. Now, we got a word for this because we're Christians, we got a word. We call it theosis right? Now, now I know this is, this is just mind-boggling, but let me explain it like this. God wants us to be so united to him that he makes us by grace who he is by nature. The way that the early uh, Christians explained this was take, taking, uh, they said a sword, thinking of a steel sword. Take a steel sword, you have a fire, And you take the steel sword and you place that sword in the fire. That steel sword will never stop being a steel sword. Its nature is a steel sword. And the fire never stops being the fire. But if that sword stays in that fire long enough, what happens to it? It, Well, it could melt. (laughs) But if it stays in it long enough and it doesn't get hot enough to melt, what happens is that it begins to glow with light. So if you took it out of the fire and the lights were off, that, that blade would glow. 
it would produce light. Just like what? Like the fire. It also would have the quality of heat. Just like what? Fire. So that if you touched a piece of paper to the fire, it would burn up. If you touched a piece of paper to the heated sword, it would catch on fire and burn up. So that we are like the sword in the presence of the fire. So that God makes... I know this is crazy talk. But St. Athanasius said, God became man, human, so that humans might become gods. Now, we're not talking... New Age stuff here. We're talking God's purpose of conforming us to the image of his son. That's why this this holiday is mind-boggling. It's something we should feast on and never grow tired of. This is such good news for all of us. And that means as a consequence of all this... Since he shares all of who he is with us by grace, not, we're not by nature who he is, but by grace he makes us like him. Here's good news. I want you to hear this. Many of us need to hear it right now. That means no matter how messed up you have been, it means that no matter what the ravages of sin have done to your life, It means that no matter the regrets that you have right now, no matter how hard you have struggled, no matter what kind of physical or mental disability you deal with now, no matter if you feel like the eternal ugly duckling right now, no matter if you feel like you're the dimmest bulb on the tree or the dullest knife in the drawer right now, this means that if you are a baptized, born-again child of God, you are destined for such majesty and such beauty that if you were to be seen as you will be in his presence on that day, right now you would be an unbearable glory to mere worldlings, mere mortals, and they would fall down in your presence. That's what God has in store for you. So don't let your past failure define you. God has a wonderful future for you, and we see it in the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ to the right hand of the Father. He, you're, there is nothing about you that will not be purified and glorified so that, my goodness gracious, if you were to show up right now, as you will be then in this room, people would be tempted to worship you. I'm not the first person to say that. I am totally ripping off C.S. Lewis right this minute. Isn't that good news? Because we do have regrets. We have seen the ravages of sin in our lives. We have messed things up. And some of us have messed things up where it's just not going to get fixed in this life. But that is not the end of your story. The ascended Son of God shows us previews of coming attractions for who you will be. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is king, Jesus is king, Jesus is king right now. And you will also reign with him in a way that you cannot even begin to imagine. And the wonderful thing is, it's just going to get better and better and better for all eternity. Aren't you glad that we are celebrating ascension right now? 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.